This episode of the Managing Major Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you, and you can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. And all you have to do is just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge at any time. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer to Manage Image Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash managingmadrid. That's betterhelp.com slash managingmadrid. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring the Managing Madrid podcast. This episode is also brought to you by the School of Real Madrid. That's right. I'm plugging that shamelessly today. We put up a Champions League final preview in video form with visuals, kind of like TIFO football video style. If you're familiar with the School of Real Madrid, you know what I'm talking about. You know our style. But the last couple of videos since our relaunch have been off the charts. Not because of my stupid, boring, silly, monotonous voice, but... The production value is off the charts. We have a new producer. His name is Miguel Castillo. He does stunning work. The visuals are amazing. Go over to the School of Madrid YouTube channel. You can search it. You can also find it all over Twitter. It's blowing up. People absolutely love it. Ray, just the reviews have been off the charts in the past 24 hours or so. Please go and watch that video. It's also pinned on the Managing Madrid homepage. The School of Madrid, a Champions League final preview. <clears throat> And as you can tell, my voice is pretty much done at this point between narrating that and also these daily podcasts. I mean, we haven't missed a day in a while. Uh, over on patreon.com slash here's what you're missing this week. Last night, Matt and I, we ranked every loanee in the Real Madrid umbrella, under the Real Madrid umbrella. And that was exclusively over on patreon.com slash We also talked about Chua Meni and Fran Garcia. And then tomorrow, which is Thursday, the world-famous Real Madrid mailbag, that goes up exclusively for Managing Madrid patrons. So if you want to submit questions but also get access to the podcast itself, go over to patreon.com slash managingmadrid. This is, we're full in. We're all in. It's Champions League final week. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a lot to digest, tackle before and after the fact. Written analysis will be a ton of it on the website in the next 24 hours or so as well. And uh, what else? Uh, if you're interested, catch me on Sirius XM with my old pal Ray Hudson and Kev Egan. That will be, I think, somewhere between uh, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern. So if you just have them on, I mean, listen to those two guys anyway because they're fantastic. And I'll be in at some point to talk about the Champions League final for 10 minutes. And today's podcast is a two-parter. Part one is with the Anfield Wrap. They are the Managing Madrid of Liverpool, um, but actually much bigger. They're role models for us. We love them. They do amazing work. And uh, we had them on, Josh Sexton of the Enfield Rap on for the first 10 minutes. I also went on the Enfield Rap for 10 minutes. That'll be on their podcast at some point. And then part two of this podcast, Ryan O'Hanlon, our good friend from ESPN, formerly of The Ringer, Liverpool fan supreme. He helps me break down the Champions League final, and we talk about that as well. So thanks for uh, sticking it out in this long intro. Enjoy the podcast. And as always, let's start with Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Nice article in the 
managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. All right, part one of the Managing Madrid podcast, a special Liverpool preview. We have an old friend coming on the show. We haven't spoke to him since 2018, the Champions League final before the game. Josh Sexton from the Anfield Wrap. Josh, we meet again. How you doing? How are you feeling about this final? Uh, I'm doing good and I'm very excited about this final. It's, it's hard not to get excited, isn't it? When you see the two names coming up for, for this game, being Liverpool and Real Madrid, and think about the Champions League finals and, and the occasions that these two teams have created in the past and you know the stage in Paris and all that sort of thing, it, it doesn't really get much bigger than this in, in terms of European royalty, doesn't it? So it's, it's hard not to get excited. I'm sure as the game comes closer, I'll, I'll be nervous. But for now, uh, I, can, I can sort of look into the distance and be excited about it. Yeah, all these smiles and all this friendly chat uh, really goes out the window at some point when someone gets injured, there's a nasty slide tackle and there's some some blood being spilt on the pitch. But we'll bring it forward to another day. Um, I'm curious to know how you're feeling in terms of your chances of, I guess, putting in like an elite Liverpool performance. I don't doubt that you guys will go out there and be amazing because you guys have been amazing all season. Um, it's interesting to look back now because since 2018, I would, uh, Real Madrid is the worst team since that final. Would you, would you say that Liverpool are a better team since then? Oh, 100%, yeah. Like, okay. so, so if you look to the, the team that, that started that game, there's obviously Loris Karius in goal, who makes crucial mistakes in the final. There's Dejan Lovren in defence, who sort of made crucial mistakes throughout, throughout his Liverpool career, as much as he, he did put in a good performance on the night. So I think in, in terms of literal personnel, you know, we've added Alisson Becker to that team, we've added Fabinho to that team. Uh, Thiago, if, if he is fit, will, will, will surely make this this final as well. Luis Diaz is, is another option we can we can bring in. So in terms of literal personnel, I think we've got stronger, but also as, as a team, and as a tactical unit and all those ideas that Jurgen Klopp wanted to, wanted to implement. That, that game in Kiev was was crucial really to, to you know, I, I suppose being a learning experience for these players because that was the first big stage they they really got on when it was properly a Jurgen Klopp team. You know, Jurgen Klopp had been to the Europa League final and the League Cup final in England and, and things like that before then, but that was never truly his team. This was the first final that, that, that Liverpool got to where that was, that was a, a, you know, a proper Jurgen Klopp side and, and since then he's only been able to put his, his mark on it even more and I think you've seen that in terms of Liverpool's performances in, in, in the Premier League over the last couple of years. I know last season was obviously a bit of a, a bit of an anomaly because of the injuries that Liverpool suffered but um, yeah, I think you've seen it in terms of Champions League progress as, as, as well down the years the fact that we went and won it the next season in Madrid and things like that. This team has, has only got stronger since then and, and it makes you more confident for this game because Look, it's not to say that Liverpool haven't, you know, let let's let moments go in games this season. You obviously saw in the semi-finals in, in away at Villarreal how Villarreal managed to claw themselves back into the game. But you know, at some point that 
no matter how much hope Liverpool give a team, that they'll find a way to snatch that away as well. I think it was the Benfica manager who earlier in the season said that Liverpool are one of the best teams at, at giving you false hope and then completely taking it away from you. And I think if Liverpool are to beat Real Madrid on, on, on the weekend, then that's going to be absolutely crucial because there's one thing you can't do is give this Real Madrid side any hope for, for sort of extended periods. So I hope that if Liverpool do give them any hope at any point, they can ride that storm and then completely take back control from there. There's a lot in what you just said. I'm trying to figure out where to go. I will say it's interesting that you, you spoke about the false open stuff because we can relate to that. You know, I think teams uh, teams have thought they've been in the clear against us so many times in the Champions League only for us to overturn it. But there's so much that's talked about in terms of European DNA with Real Madrid and this je ne sais quoi, this intangible factor of being able to overcome stuff. People often forget that Liverpool have that too. Like if there's two clubs... If there's one club that like is is almost on par with Real Madrid with that particular aspect, it's literally Liverpool. You guys had one of the most historic comebacks in football history against Milan in the Champions League final. You guys also beat us in a, in a Champions League final in 1981, and at that at that time, you know, a lot of these conversations were um, were prevalent too. I actually went back and did some research on that particular final. It was very interesting because Liverpool were saying, you know, this team is a lot of this. Uh, a lot of these European Cup trophies, and, and they went in and they beat us, one nothing. So you guys have that too. But you also discussed, um, you know, how much better you guys are now. And that's saying a lot because I thought in 2018 you guys were incredible, right? And this is the third time we played, we faced each other in four years, and this is your best team, and this is, you know, we definitely, we definitely don't have the superstars and players at their peak like we did in 2018. So given that, you'd almost assume that Liverpool would be favourites, and I think they would be anyway. But you and I also talked about how Real Madrid may be able to beat Liverpool and vice versa on the Anfield rap, and so people can go listen to that if they want. But um, talk to me about the lead-up to this final. Where are you on the spectrum of, because Real Madrid wrapped up their league campaign like a month ago or so, They've had all this time to rest players while Liverpool went to the last match day and almost snatched it at the end, but they couldn't. How much does that affect you in a good way or bad way? Is it good to be to have that momentum or do you think you could have used the extra rest? I think Liverpool are so used to playing with, with rhythm now. It's, that's the word that Jurgen Klopp likes to use in terms of, you know, playing two games a week. I think I think it's, it goes back to like December for Liverpool now of, of just playing two games a week flat out for like the whole season. It obviously has required Liverpool to, to use their squad. I think the five substitutions in, in the Champions League will, will really help in terms of that because if Liverpool find themselves in a hole at any point in this game, you know, whether that's in terms of the scoreline, whether that's in terms of fitness, whether that's in terms of, you know, the, the patterns of the game, they'll, they'll be able to use their bench to, to sort of dig their way out of that in a way they have done quite a lot this season but I think Jurgen Klopp has, has got his side playing so well in, in 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 rhythm now he's been able to use you know broadly speaking his, his strongest 11 for, for for a lot of the games throughout the season particularly their biggest games so I think he would he would be pleased that Liverpool you know things went the way they did not not in terms you know losing the league title obviously rather than the league title but in terms of being able to play on Sunday and then being able to play on the Saturday this week and to get a lot of those players minutes in their legs because I think he would be worried about bringing a few of those guys in from from the cold for for a Champions League final and the sort of spectacle that is and the the other thing is you know you mentioned intangibles before in terms of the European royalty factor but 
intangible that, you, that you're going to have with Liverpool going into this is, is are those players going to be stung by you know losing out on the league so closely at the weekend when Mohamed Salah scored you know you saw it in the reactions on the players' face they thought they thought they'd won the Premier League for Liverpool only to reach the fans by the sort of by the fencing on the side of the pitch and the fans were telling them no it's three two to Manchester City so we've we've not quite done it. So I think you'll 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 sort of see a Liverpool side who who feel hurt by that, and and Real Madrid are a part of that hurt story for Liverpool because obviously when Real Madrid beat Liverpool in Kiev, Liverpool went again next season and won the Champions League. So this Liverpool team is a team that's so used to facing setbacks and and, and bouncing back, and that's one of the ways they've been able to grow so much since since they last played Real Madrid in the final is that they've suffered a couple of those setbacks along the way, but then they found a way to to sort of bounce back immediately and bounce back in the best way, and that's why I think. It, it will suit Liverpool, I would say, to, to, to have not had the rest necessarily to, to, be, to be, you know, six days of playing in the last game of the Premier League and then playing this one. I just wonder whether, you know, it will have the factor on Real Madrid of bringing a few players in from the cold or whether that rest will, will benefit, you know, particularly some of the older stars in that Real Madrid squad because they, they would probably, you know, benefit from the rest and then can rely on their instincts to, to carry them through this game. Yeah, I, I'm very curious to know, like, if you fast forward to, like, minute 70, 75, what the state of both teams will look like, um, their fitness levels and their energy levels. But if you could run down, because, like, it's really hard for us to keep up, like, what is everyone's health status heading into this final? If, you know, I've watched all these Liverpool games in the build-up to this just for a scouting report, and I feel like every time I watch them, someone comes off injured, you know, in the last game. <laughs> Uh, or maybe two games ago, it was Salah. I think it was last game. It was Thiago, right? Just before halftime, um, you've had Fabinho come off in the past. Where are we right now with the latest updates? It is Wednesday, so things could change again. Maybe players could come back. Maybe Thiago will get more updates. But as of right now, who's who's available, and what would you predict your starting eleven to be? <clears throat> So yeah, as we speak today, Liverpool have been holding like an open training session before the the media and things like that before the ahead of the Champions League final. And Fabinho and Joe Gomez have both took part in that. The only two players of of sort of the entire squad really, bar any any sort of longer term injuries that haven't took part in that, are uh, are Divock Origi and Thiago. So we're all sort of fingers crossed on on Thiago. I I personally don't think that because of Thiago's injury, the nature of it, and and the fact that he had to come off at the weekend, that he will start this one. I don't think. Jurgen Klopp would necessarily risk him from the start, but, but I fully expect him to, to be on the bench so long as he makes his way back to training at some point this week. So I think in, in terms of the starting eleven, it, it would be very similar to the starting eleven that played against Wolves, which for you know Real Madrid fan listeners who, who don't know was Alisson in goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joel Matip, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson. Um, it would be Henderson, Fabinho, Naby Keita, and then Salah. Well, Salah, Salah didn't start that game and Virgil van Dijk didn't start that game, but I imagine those two will come in. And then Salah, uh, Sadio Mane is number nine and then Luis Diaz on the on the left-hand side. Uh, we're running out of time, but I just wanted to ask you to, to close. What is it that worries you most about the final? <laughs> um, I, I suppose it is what I would call the Real Madrid factor this season. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean the, the, the European Royalty factor because I think you, you were right to say before that you know, if there's any team in the world that can match Real Madrid on that, it's Liverpool. If, if Liverpool do win this, it'll be their seventh Champions League, which will mean they match AC Milan as, as the sort of second best Champions League winners of all time behind the ridiculous record that, that Real Madrid have set of Champions League trophies. You mentioned about experienced players playing in, in their fifth Champions League final for Real Madrid. For a few of these Liverpool players, it's, it's their third Champions League final in sort of a, a, as many years almost. So um, I, I think the, the Real Madrid factor, the way I see it, is that if Liverpool don't, 
kill Real Madrid hopes if they don't find a way to kill this game early on, if, if, they, if they allow it to still be in the balance heading into the later stages of the game in particular, in the same way that Manchester City did then, you'll get the likes of Luka Modric stepping up, you'll get the likes of Karim Benzema stepping up, Vinicius can sort of pop up from anywhere with a moment of magic as, as well as one of the sort of lesser experienced players. So I guess my biggest concern is, is that Liverpool give Real Madrid too much of that hope. Um, but I, I have every faith in this Liverpool side to, to be able to, to take that away and, and hopefully uh, come out with a trophy. Josh Sexton, thanks for your time, my friend. Hopefully we'll have many encounters in the future and more podcasts to record. Have fun in Paris, party hard, and have a great time. Thanks for your time, buddy. Thank you, Kian. You too, mate. All right, welcome to part two of the Liverpool Preview Podcast. One of the best things and possibly the only the only real good thing about playing Liverpool again, who is one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world right now, is that our buddy Ryan O'Hanlon will stop by and tell us all his thoughts about Liverpool. He is a Liverpool supporter, has been a Liverpool supporter for quite some time. In the past, we've talked about our previous encounters back in 2009. We've also spoken about the Champions League final. We had Ryan on also in 2019 when we faced Liverpool in the quarterfinals, I believe it was, and now we meet again in 2022 for a Champions League final. Ryan, welcome to the show, and as you predicted, Real Madrid would be in the Champions League final, right as you said all along, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and they're obviously going to win, too. So <laughs> I, I love it because I feel like it's a, it's a joke, but you can kind of tell that inside you're like, fuck, it's actually going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, so we're recording this on a Wednesday, a couple days after Liverpool came within one point of winning the Premier League title. And I had this, it was like watching those games together was, it was terrible to watch. Like I was the first, you know, people can be like kind of overdramatic about like, oh, it's, you know, it's so torturous, like watching my favorite team or whatever. But like that was just the way it played out was purely like there was no uh positives because liverpool like never even had the lead when man city were losing but in the back of my head i it was even worse because now i'm also like uh, i I know what happens when liverpool plays real madrid and i'm just you know expecting the worst case scenario to play out there as well so you're right i'm sort of joking as a professional journalist but also as a fan i'm not joking at all (laughs) well also just for context for our listeners um i know you've been writing about like you know this goes all the way back to the group stages where you really really had a case and still do but that real madrid are not that good um and the fact that you know if you look at also just the predictions models and the percentage of chances that Real Madrid had of getting to the final was incredibly low. And you and I always joked about like, and I would always tell you because we'd message each other after every game that Real Madrid would win when it wasn't very uh, a very convincing performance. And I'd always tell you, Ryan, man, we don't need to be good to win this tournament. You have to remember that. And here we are. And I, I honestly, I'm, I'm shocked that we're here, to be honest. I'm not, I'm kind of shocked and I'm, I, but, but really like, if you asked me this when we drew PSG before the games even started, and especially after that first leg, I was like, man, we have way too many problems to even be thinking about getting to the final. There's no way. So I'm, I'm also blown away. So that's just... Yeah, I mean, I, I... You... I We might have been messaging, like, in, like, the 85th minute of the Man City 
uh, Real Madrid game. And I think you guys even sent out a tweet. Maybe you deleted it and I'm um, airing you out on your podcast. You guys are just like, yeah, like this, we just don't have it. It like, still exists. We didn't delete it. We this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think you deleted it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's why I like coming on your podcast because you're not um, just yelling at me and telling me Real Madrid <laughs> are European royalty and clearly the best team. Um, you understand sort of how the sport works and how unlikely a lot of the results that Real Madrid produced. Um, were but at the same time real madrid has a lot of good players and a lot of stuff can happen in one soccer game so well well that particular tweet i remember really truly at the time it was not even like half the stuff we tweet is an attempt to jinx right so but that one really truly i felt no this is no way there's absolutely zero chance that we can do this and uh it was a sincere tweet and then we we hit publish and and we're very happy that that was proven wrong. Very happy. So, um, I, mean, I mean, you. It's. I'm sh- obviously you guys have talked about that uh, <laughs> comeback on this podcast. But yeah, it was. Uh, that one was particularly crazy because there was no, like, the narrative. There was like no narrative, right? It was like Madrid played actually pretty well in the first half, right? And then City started to play better, score. And then Madrid, it wasn't like Madrid were like knocking on the door for 20 minutes. They just weren't doing anything. And then they just suddenly scored two goals yeah. in injury time. It was crazy. Yeah. And then usually what happens is after they start and complete the comeback, from that point until the final whistle, they're the better team. So they just, the opponent's like, what's yeah. going on? And they're just paralyzed and they don't know what to do. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens in a neutral ground without the burnout, without 180 minutes to complete comebacks and make adjustments and stuff like that. I mean, this is a, this mm-hmm. is going to be different. So I wanted to ask you, like, from a tactical level, like Liverpool are known for so many things, primarily, possibly, their counterpress. Do you think they're going to go into that final aggressive from the start, or do they play a little bit more conservative in a game like this? I think my guess is that they're going to be aggressive from the start. Um, partially because it seems like, um, I mean, mostly everyone will be healthy other than Tiago and maybe Fabinho, but seems like Van Dyke is probably back. Um, and then you have either Kanate or Matip next to him in the same back line. Um, it seems like Nabi Keita is going to be starting and he's almost not really, um, you don't really want to be playing a sort of more passive style with him out there. I think that kind of removes a lot of what he's good at. Um, and this year they've kind of um, in some ways they're pressing his like increased after the past couple of years this year. So I think, um, I think they will, but at the same time, um, the game against Tottenham, uh, what was that now? Three or two years ago, three years ago, The final. Like, that was somewhat, that was somewhat skewed by Liverpool scoring like right away, but the, that, that was an extremely passive game by Liverpool. They didn't press super intensely, but that might be because they just scored right away. Um, but overall, I think, you know, in some ways it's not, I just, I think it's just, it's just going to be Liverpool doing mainly what Liverpool does would be my guess coming into this game. 
You think that would be the best approach, just doing what you're good at, right? I mean, I had to go back and look at, because I, I wasn't sure what they did in 2018. And I went back and looked at my notes and actually rewatched some of the opening like 10, 15 minutes. And it was actually quite painful to watch because Liverpool were very aggressive and we actually had no answers. Yep. And we were much more press resistant then than we are now. Eventually, we kind of weathered it a little bit and grew into it. But first, like the first like 15, 20, we were actually a bit panicky with the ball. and We, we couldn't really deal with that aggression. Yeah, and Liverpool now obviously have more players to... I, I have memories of that game of them constantly turning Madrid over but not being able to do anything with the transitions they were creating. And obviously now I think they have... It's, you know, rough, a lot of the same players, but a lot of the players are better too to kind of capitalize on those opportunities. Um, yeah, what, what was staggering about I, that final too... Sorry, Ryan, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just like... After all of those turnovers that you guys generated, you only had two shots on goal after 90 minutes. And I was like blown away by that stat. Yeah, yeah. Very weird game. And another one with uh, something that happened early on in the game that may have affected the rest of the game, which we we will not bring up on this podcast. But I think the other thing, which is interesting with Liverpool, right? Maybe in comparison to Man City, um, you had... So Liverpool... Beats Inter Milan first leg relatively easily. Loses the second leg at home. Um, which I think is their only their only loss at home this season. If you want to count that as a loss, even though it they didn't have to win. Um, and then next was Benfica, right? And they won easily on the road, and then played a very open game at Anfield, and Benfica scored. But in the long run. I think there's a lot of studies that have shown this in the long run. If you're the better team playing a more open game is actually better because the more chances that are created, the it gives your talent basically more opportunities to win out as opposed to if like Liverpool had eight shots and Benfica had four or something like that. And then um, in the Villarreal game, it was almost similar. It was a way more like, and that was the first half and that was crazy. Maybe we can talk about that, but Liverpool again, kind of, it ended up being a much more open game than I think um, maybe other coaches would want. But I think it seems to me, at least from the outside, that Klopp has kind of realized that like trying to just play to the game state basically can lead to a lot of really bad stuff happening just because you need one deflection, one handball or whatever. So I think he, at least so far, um, again, against, albeit not the greatest competition, other than Inter, who I think are a very good team. Um, he's played the numbers properly, um, even if that's, you know, led to a more sort of open style that seems like it would actually be the, the wrong strategy. I think it's actually the right strategy in the long, the long run, if that makes any sense. That's interesting. So on that note, one of the themes that was discussed after we lost to City at the Etihad 4-3 in that crazy game was that Ancelotti said after the game that he wanted to create an open game. And we discussed in the podcast, like, mm-hmm. we thought that that was beneficial to Real Madrid because they thrive on chaos and disorder. And mm-hmm. But it also turns out that we could have been having a different discussion had City scored one of their 800 chances that they had. It could have been 7-3, you yeah. know. So we would have or changed like our tone. A... You know, if the handball doesn't happen, right, then it's completely different. Um, I don't even remember that. Which which handball was that? Uh, wasn't that how Madrid got their third goal? Laporte handled across basically oh, into the box. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you know, s- stuff like that. 
Yeah, and, and and also in the second leg, we completely closed the game because we needed to. And that actually, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, we played well in the first half. It We sacrificed our offense a little bit, but defensively, at least they didn't rip us apart. And we eventually got a couple chances at the end, which we scored from, and it was game over. In this particular final, I actually think we'll see an open game, maybe more so than in, you know, compared to the Liverpool-Tottenham final a couple years ago. And I wonder who that benefits more, and I'm curious to know what you think. Because an open game for Vinicius versus Trent is good news for us. But at the same time, it's going to be difficult for us to close the channels, obviously, with the way Liverpool attack. So who do you think that benefits? Yeah, I think... I mean, there's... uh... You know, I think one interesting dynamic is that obviously Liverpool, um, they've played the maximum number of games possible this season. They're the first English team to do it in forever, meaning that they've made the final of every, they've made the final of every competition. And you could also say they've played the maximum number of games in the Premier League, right? Because every game they basically needed to win because it went down to the wire. They, they have rotated a little bit, but, um, and they've played, they haven't had a midweek off since March, I believe. So I, I think that there there is an interesting, and it seems like Madrid are sort of coasting basically um, into the final, um, have a couple extra days off. So I think there is potential a potential that like, I guess I'm wondering if if Liverpool aren't at full physical capacity, whether an open game is worse for them or a closed game. Because if we're talking about like a closed game, you mean basically Madrid is kind of bunkering in and Liverpool is sort of, you know, trying to press them and turn them over. And I think that is a, that, um, that's a physically demanding thing to do when you're the um, pressing team as well as the the defending team. So I, I guess I would say, I don't know. I, I envision like, I think an open game is better probably for Liverpool, um, all things being equal, um, just cause that's like what they do and how they play um they could easily lose an open game because like you said vinicius that's i think anyone who's watched either of these teams play once they can sort of figure out what the obvious sort of path to goal for madrid would be yeah um but at the same time like that's that's just what liverpool does it's good for trent to be in an open game with the ball right um it's good for all of liverpool's attackers probably especially good for Nabi Keita, who I, who I keep bringing up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you you feel it basically the inverse of what I'm saying, that an open game would probably be better for Madrid? or No, I'm like, to me, I just, my mind keeps on going to the key thing for us is, can we get the ball to Vinicius in space? Because one of the yeah. things that I keep on thinking about as like, I'm kind of just envisioning how this game will go, and a lot is going to be on that flank for both teams. Like mm-hmm. Trent and Salah yeah. is going to be a focal point in the funnel. Like everything that goes to them almost. Like, like even looking at the numbers, the amount of yep. touches they both have, the progressive passes received and, and deployed, it's all from that flank. And the interesting thing about Real Madrid in on that flank is that we have Ferland Mendy, who is excellent defensively, but is not going to help Vinicius at all in the attack. And I wonder, yeah. like, so, for example, if Vinicius versus Kyle Walker in the second leg, Kyle Walker locked Vinicius down. 
until Kyle Walker. But I, but then also died because he was chasing Vinicius down yeah, he, around he, the field for yeah, 50 he, minutes. <laughs> he, yeah, he was done after. And then after that, and, and even like the couple of sequences before he came off, you could kind of tell like Vinicius was starting to be able to get some momentum uh, against him. Kyle Walker is a, a superior defensive player to, to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Trent Alexander-Arnold obviously is, an unbel- is like a supernova offensively, but... And, yeah. But I wonder, like, so what does that look like? If, is I, I feel like we're going to have a lot of moments where Vinicius is isolated by himself trying to do a transition attack. And if he can get that space, like, what, that, what does that look like? Is it Fabinho who has to come and cover? Is it Van Dijk who has to come and cover? Maybe that creates space for Benzema in transition. I was watching the Chelsea game also, the final, Liverpool-Chelsea mm-hmm. final. And I noticed, like, Liverpool's, like, tracking is kind of hit or miss, right? Like Mane and and Trent Alexander Arnold, there were a few sequences where they're not really they're kind of jogging back in transition, not not tracking those runs. I feel like those that those are the moments where we're going to have to take advantage. And if I had to guess, we're going to be be pretty deep. Like Chelsea played a little bit more, held a higher line against you, but I'm thinking more of like we're going to copy like Conte's playbook, which is like pretty much deeper than that. If I had to guess, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm wondering if how you think yeah, that plays no. out on the wings. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's another reason why I think that a like a less open game probably favors or not doesn't favor Madrid. I, I I don't think they would be the favorites, but it'd be better for Madrid in that situation just because I that's just like I mean, so the first half against Villarreal, you did see a team just be like, what if we just like press this team? What what happens here? What happens? And I actually yeah. like fucked Liverpool up for forty five minutes, um, and then they made like at least Klopp said they made like one tweak basically to have Kata be positioned in a certain way. And that allowed them to just easily play through the press. And the game was basically over in the second half pretty much immediately. Um, but it did work. Um, that being said, it's not, I just, you know, we haven't really seen Madrid do a, be a comprehensive pressing team. Um, <laughs> they've done it in spurts when Kamavinga comes on, but like just suddenly to trying to press Liverpool in the final is probably a terrible idea. Um, so that being said, you know, the other times Liverpool struggled, which Chelsea has played Liverpool very well, frankly, um, given Liverpool finished almost 20 points ahead of them in the table. When you watch them play, you wouldn't kind of know that. Um, and West Ham also played Liverpool really well this year and they both, um, you know, they're able to not get pushed too deep, I guess we'll say, um, defend pretty well in their box. And then by doing that, it creates all the space because Liverpool is just pushing up to play basically just the diagonal balls into the channels. Um, basically, it's like, right, it's like the thing with Trent is like, I, I he's like an okay, you know, 1v1 defender. It's just that the way Liverpool plays, he's not in the fullback area most of right. the time. So like that area is wide open. So I think that's kind of basically it's like how often can Madrid kind of exploit that space? I think is probably going to in some ways decide the game from the mid Madrid perspective. Like, can they get out of Liverpool's press? Can, you know, one thing I, I feel like last year that was kind of underplayed um, in the Madrid Liverpool game Um you know, obviously Liverpool will have slightly better center backs, um, just slightly better than uh, Matt Phillips and Ozan Kabak uh, this time around. But like, you know, Tony Cruz was just pinging balls over into the space to Vinicius. 
but like part of the part of that is because of how Liverpool plays, but also like Tony Cruz was just standing in acres of space, able to play the balls over the top. So it's like, can he find that space against Liverpool? Can Liverpool close that space down against him, et cetera. So I feel like that's kind of the, like the knot that's going to get pulled in both directions by each team. And um, Vinicius is obviously going to get on the end of some of those balls. It's more of a question of how many I think. Right. And then, I think you'll probably see Kanate start in this game because he's an absolute freak in terms of, you know, in some ways is like, he's not the Kyle Walker of center backs. He's still a little bit raw, but he's, you know, can run with Vinicius basically and kind of slow him down. So um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of, it's a question of one, how efficient are Madrid with those moments and then how many of those moments can they create? And probably the latter is the more important question if I had to had to say. Yeah, how many is a key question for me? Because if you get a high volume of those attacks, this is already a team that severely like over overperforms their XG. Like they, you saw it against City. Mm. They they can score three goals from like four chances and score unlikely goals. And I think you know you go back to that game in Paris where PSG completely. But you have Allison. You have Allison who severely. <laughs> forces the other team to underperform their xg in the other way so let's see what happens we'll see. It's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a new challenge anyway, for us on. sorry to interrupt no well it's yeah. you know <laughs> going back to that game in paris where psg dominated us and we couldn't escape our half we really felt we came away with that thinking man i can't even remember one time vinicius won at the space behind Atrap at all and that was a huge bummer. Like, we didn't even test that. And so if it's a game like that, then Liverpool are laughing. But if it's a game where Vinicius actually has a high volume of chances, then that that obviously plays in our favor. So um wanted to ask you, you briefly brought up Kamavinga. There's that, you know, the the one of the big themes of Real Madrid is that minute 70, 75, around that time, Kamavinga comes in. Real Madrid's style of play completely changes. It's more dynamic. It's more aggressive. They start pressing. So far, our opponents have not dealt well with that scenario. So I'm just wondering if you can tell us, one, I guess, what does Liverpool's bench look like compared to Real Madrid's? And how do Liverpool react in that scenario in the final when Kamavinga and co. come on and the game kind of changes? How do Liverpool deal with that? Um, Yeah, I mean, it'll be... It'll be interesting. I mean, there are, there have been moments this season where Liverpool can just temporarily kind of get thrown off their game. Um, and it is, it's worrisome because of a little bit of what I said earlier, right? Where like, like where will Liverpool's energy level be in game? I don't even know what the number is, but it's absurd number of games in the 70th minute. Um, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a, I see them having an effect on the game again. I, I would say this this time around, because um, Liverpool Liverpool's bench is, if Thiago doesn't play, that sort of changes everything. Because then it's, you assume it's going to be Fabinho, uh, Henderson, and Keita as the three midfielders. So then your midfield options are, um, Milner, who you know, we love him, but he's kind of. It's amazing that he's still playing, 
uh, we're, you got to respect that, but um, you don't really want to have to rely on him um, in a Champions League final. I don't think, especially versus the sort of Kamavinga wave. Um, I, you know, Milner will get a yellow card against Kamavinga within probably five seconds of being on the field together. Would be my guess. Um, and so then the other options in the midfield are Harvey Elliott, who just hasn't. He was great at the beginning of the season, but just barely has barely played since. Curtis Jones, who's more of like a like an Isco type midfielder, I would say just much more holds onto the ball a little bit longer, much more creative, doesn't really do anything defensively. So I don't, in in some ways, maybe that could help against um, that's sort of the bench mob as I believe you called them. Um, And then you're just, you know, you're not changing any of the back four, right. That's just not going to, not going to happen unless someone's hurt. And then you have, you know, Jota and Firmino to come in up top. So you know, I, I think that's a way to maybe fight back against it, right? Like if the front line's kind of losing a little bit of steam, you bring on Firmino and and Jota or Firmino and Diaz or whoever, and those are two like fantastic players against a, t- a team that what we're saying will probably, Madrid will also be tired because they're probably going to be defending a lot, I would imagine, and with the pattern of the game. So, um, you know, the midfield changes that are available in the in an ideal world you have either Cato or Henderson to come off the bench if Tiago's playing right and you can kind of um you can see the difference that having Cato versus Henderson would make in the way your team plays it's like kind of clear right um and they won't really have that as a kind of lever to pull in this game um which could end up being an important thing based on the the impact that we've seen from Madrid subs i mean would you is there any argument to have coming to start the game do you think i mean i don't think it'll happen but yeah there is a huge argument for it i mean he's good enough yeah. to start for real madrid and um yeah so there's there's no question that i that's a i think most real madrid fans are there where they believe that and i think it's right rightfully so but i think we're also at a stage where we're like let's not mess with this formula that's working where they come yeah. in and just like throw shit around and throw people around and it works <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of this, we have the same argument with Fede Valverde and Rodrigo too, where like, I think a lot of us feel Rodrigo was the better right winger. However, the dynamic of Fede starting and then we have Rodrigo come off the bench in the second half and starts breaking lines when he comes in. Also, we're fine with that as well. So the formula works, but I I would imagine next season we're going to have more more of Kamavinga and Rodrigo starting more games, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain the shift and the difference in dynamic from Firmino to Luis Diaz because four years ago we looked at that front three you guys had as one of the best in the world and now are we now are we saying that that this is better than that and and how how has it changed what does Luis Diaz do that Firmino couldn't do um so I think with Firmino the two sort of things he's special at in addition to He's his he's never been looked at as kind of a um player that produces a lot of goals and assists, even though he has, you know, per 90, his numbers are basically always very good. But he um his off-ball movement is absurd. Um he presses basically as much as any player in that position in the world. He's always, you know, worst teams tend to have more pressures in a game, right? Cause they don't have the ball as much, but you'll, you'd constantly see Firmino and like 
random player from the 17th best team in the premier league both having the same number of pressures in a game and then the other thing is he drops a lot deeper right and gives liverpool a little extra a little bit more of an extra presence in the midfield i think in terms of possession that also creates space for salah and money to run into and you know he's played well when he's kind of been in the mix this season but then he got hurt um and just kind of hasn't played as much so he has kind of fallen down the pecking order and for a while it was jota who um along with Mane and salah who was um starting it was mostly jota kind of down the center in a lot of ways jota is like basically the closest thing they have to a traditional center forward somehow scores a ton of headers despite basically being my height um doesn't do a ton of contribution in build-up play and is also a pressing maniac. But since Diaz came, they've shifted Mane into the center, which I think has made them a little more dangerous because Mane, he's able to drop a little bit deeper. He's not dropping at deep as often as Firmino does. Um, but he, you know, he's just like, you know, Mane is just able to like any such like he's it's like a FIFA player to me, basically. Like you can pass the ball like to his neck, to like his back to his backside and he's still going to somehow suddenly turn and create a pass out of, out of those situations. And, um, and he's so two footed that I think it kind of creates a little bit of unpredictability. And then Diaz is like, he's really good presser. And he's also just like, you know, he's not like a traditional winger in the sense um, of what we think of traditional wingers, but he's just so kind of dangerous getting the ball at his feet. And he'll, he takes probably more touches than the other their front three does but i think that like there's like a an added value that they get by having they basically now it's salah mane and diaz and they're all just like incredibly dangerous with the ball at their feet and also most of mane and salah in particular are really good without the ball as well so i think that there's um you know uh there's like a a little bit more unpredictability maybe in the way that the front three functions when you have Diaz and when you have Mane as the center forward and um, obviously Salah is doing what he always does from the right. Yeah, well, it's weird. I mean, I can also just put it in much less detailed and less uh, convincing <laughs> words, but the way I would describe it, and I and I know how good Firmino is at his peak. Like when he's healthy and he's, he's mm -hmm. playing consistently, he's an unbelievable and he's an intelligent player. But there's something about Luis Diaz just that terrifies me that I didn't experience with Firmino. And I haven't even faced Luis Diaz yeah. yet. But when I watch him play, he almost has that, like, I don't know how to call it. It's like it's almost like an FU factor that he has. That he just mm -hmm. He's just a scary proposition. And also Carvajal, although has been playing good last couple games in the Champions League, hasn't is not you know the player he used to be. That kind of concerns me a little bit. That's another reason why Fede Valverde will have to start on that right wing, mm -hmm. right? Because he's going to help defensively with that. So it just, I can't explain yeah. it, but Luis Diaz has something about him that just I worry about. Yeah, he he's definitely like very direct in the way that he plays. You know, he gets yeah. the ball and he just drives it toward the goal in a way that um, maybe Mane isn't if he's playing out there. And Firmino, obviously, that's just kind of not, you know, Firmino's not getting the ball 30 yards from goal, cutting in past the fullback and then like ripping a shot or right. playing a through ball, right? He's doing a lot of other stuff. So yeah, I think it makes, I, it makes sense, but it would be, it'll be interesting to see if Tiago doesn't play, like, I guess I would have to go back and look and see how much of Diaz's minutes have came with Tiago out there. Um, it'll be interesting to see like if it, 
how well the directness of Diaz kind of works without someone like Tiago kind of creating all of these opportunities for him to be direct basically out there. And you have a kind of more, I don't know, workman like midfielder on that side. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I was going to ask you, I mean, you kind of answered it, but maybe if you want to add anything else, but what's the difference between Liverpool with Thiago and without, without Thiago? Um, Liverpool with Thiago, I don't know what. Liverpool with Thiago and Fabinho, they've never lost um, a game with the two of them out there. Um, so that's interesting. They're like, they average, it's like 103 point pace basically they're on with those players on the field um but so you know i think the i don't know if the madrid fans managing madrid fans are aware of this but the kind of story with liverpool is right that they outsource their creativity to their fullbacks right and that you know trent is basically like tony cruz for liverpool right like he's but he's just a fullback um and Robertson is, you know, const- he's basically like a winger, right? He's getting, he's a great outlet and getting on the ball kind of in the like little, you know, pocket where you can create cutbacks from on the left side. Um, and they did that by like having Fabinho Henderson and when all of them just kind of do nothing, not, they don't really stand out in any of the stats. And then with Tiago, you now had like, okay, you have to worry about Trent um, playing the passes through the lines and creating everything. But then you have Tiago kind of on the left center midfield spot. So he's kind of the creator from the left side. And Trent this year a lot has been kind of drifting in into kind of the half space between the fullback and the center backs and doing a lot of creativity from there while Tiago is doing it from the left side. So it like, you know, you can shut down Liverpool's fullbacks in the past. And then if you didn't get turned over and let them create opportunities out of counter pressing, you could actually shut them down. Well, now it's like, you can shut down the fullbacks, but if you're going to shut down the fullbacks, you're then leaving space in the center, right? Cause you're, you're sending more bodies out wide. And then you just have Tiago there playing balls like into a center forwards feet at the top of the box. And then you have a front three against like two center backs at Liverpool score goals. And like Henderson and Kata are both very, really good players. They're both really good, but they're just not, um, they're much more, I don't think you lose anything in terms of a ball winning perspective. Maybe you do a little bit because Tiago's actually fantastic <laughs> um, winning the ball back too, but you're, they're safer. Keita is not as safe, you know, but he's more of a guy that's going to like occupy weird spaces to receive progressive passes, you know, and then drive forward with that, with it as feet while Henderson is um, just a, he doesn't really lose the ball. That's kind of his thing rather than playing the kind of line breaking passes. So right. they're just like, you know, Tiago's like basically a perfect midfielder outside of, you know, the deal with the devil is that he gets injured all the time. That's why he's able to be perfect when he plays basically. He is unbelievable. He really is. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed watching him, especially after he left Barca. I mean, he's just got the supreme talent, yeah. <laughs> just incredible first touch, incredible just technique, everything. Visionary. Um, yeah. One last question I wanted to ask you, then we got to go. Okay. This Champions League run for Liverpool, so is it, correct me on, the, on this if I'm wrong. The order was uh, Inter and then Benfica and then Villarreal, right? Did I get yeah. that right? Okay. Murderers row. Yeah. Murderers row. At what <laughs> at what point throughout those three ties 
and six games overall, did you feel most worried as a Liverpool fan? Was there like a moment where you're like, oh man, I'm not, I'm kind of feeling uneasy about this. And in that moment, is there something that Real Madrid fans can learn, or Real Madrid should learn and take away as like, well, that worked, we should try that? Let's think. Well, we also had the group stages too, if you want to include that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking more of like high stakes, you know. Yeah. Um, AC Milan, Atletico, and Porto were in their group. Um, was it is a tough not an easy group? Yeah, yeah. Um, crazy to think that uh, Milan went on to win Syria after finishing last in that group. Yeah, um, unnecessary drive by with AC Milan, but anyway, <laughs> just completely um, <laughs> annihilating Milan for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Inter basically like the pattern was Liverpool like dominated the first half, but it's like the domination where you're like getting the ball into the box nonstop, but like the chances aren't actually coming. So they weren't creating great chances, but it was like, you're doing all the other stuff. The chances are going to come. And then like Milan played like really well Inter, I can't believe I called them Milan. People will be really <laughs> mad about that. Um, played like really well for like 10 minutes, at the beginning of the second half. And I was kind of like, shit. And then Klopp made a handful of subs. Diaz Henderson came on and then Liverpool just completely took over the game um Benfica just there was not really any <laughs> any worries against Benfica I mean Kanate like made a mistake that gave Benfica a goal in the first game but it, that was just like you know a freak occurrence where it's like okay congrats they scored but like they didn't do anything special but I think it was probably it's got to be the Villarreal kind of toward the end of the first half where they they'd come back um and like Liverpool just looked like it was they completed like 55% of their passes in the first half. And it was just like Tiago is passing the ball out of bounds. And it was like, wow, the team like looks shook here. And, you know, it's, I've been thinking about this part a lot, you know, people, there's a rightfully a ton of, you know, talk about Real Madrid's mentality, right. And their kind of ability to rise to the challenge. Well, like, you know, Klopp, constantly calls his team the mentality monsters. So Liverpool like to think of themselves in a similar way. And I think rightfully so in a lot of ways. Um, and then, but it was just like, wow, like the, I don't know how real momentum is in sports in terms of the way we speak about it, but like, it sure seemed like they were like Villarreal was just going to score again. Um, but then halftime comes and Klopp, you know, makes a couple tweaks or whatever the team comes down, they completely dominate Villarreal in the second half. So I think where that would connect is I think it does line up with kind of this like Madrid biding their time and then just like throwing the kitchen sink with all the subs at Liverpool in the 70th minute or whatever. Um, Cause like the Villarreal game showed that like, you know, you can rattle Liverpool despite them sort of being the team that's supposed to rattle you, you know? So I think, you know, in some ways the game could come down to, right. Like <laughs> is Madrid down by one in the 70th minute? Are they winning by one? Are they down two? like, you know, I, 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 I could see that being kind of the dynamic of the game where Madrid kind of do what we're saying, hold on against Liverpool, maybe give up a lot of chances over the first 70 minutes, but maybe not good ones. Um, create a couple of chances with Vinicius and then the, Kamavinga and co come on and Liverpool's just dead after a long season. And Madrid just kind of <laughs> does it again over the last 20 minutes. 
who knows i mean i uh, i was on the anfield rap podcast before this <clears throat> they asked me about something similar and i and i was like look if you're either don't score against us if you want to beat us or leave <laughs> or leave it till like the last kick of the game or just like really put it to bed like five nil put us to bed so we yeah. have no chance like that's the, that's the way to do it um but like your point about the mentality i've been hammering home too because all Real Madrid fans are like man we got the champions league dna i'm like I don't know if you guys know, but we're not playing like Alaves. We're we're playing the the team yeah. that's the third most successful team in this competition's history. They've beaten us in a Champions League final before in 1981. They have the DNA too, and you guys had one of the most historic comebacks in Champions League final history, down three nothing, right? So it yeah. kind of this and, is the yeah. first time we're kind of looking at ourselves in the mirror a little bit, I think. Yeah, well, and, you know, Liverpool has also won the Champions League more recently than Madrid, obviously only a yep. year after. So, um, yep. I, I think that that's why it'll be, you know, all the things you just said, or why it's going to be it's such a compelling matchup. Yeah. All right, Ryan, uh, thanks for your time. Everyone can follow Ryan on Twitter at RWOhan, I guess is how you would say it. RWOhan, how should I say that? Well, my middle initial is W, so it's just my first initial, second initial, then a couple letters. Um, we'll link it in the show. R W O H A N. Yeah, well, perfect. Easiest. Yeah, go follow him on there. You can read his work on ESPN. Um, he's a great follow, especially if you like tactics and storytelling. Ryan's got a nice blend of both. So go follow him on Twitter and check out his work on ESPN. Thanks for your time, buddy. Enjoy the final, and we'll probably see you next year when we play you again. Yeah. Godspeed. Godspeed. Take care, buddy.